0: Welcome back for another episode of A Sides. I'm Andy doing another individual interview episode tonight and following up on several of the episodes we've had where I've talked with Kenny Wright, who's performed at concerts, and also Brent and I, we share our concert experiences during most of our episodes when we get together. I thought this time would be interesting to kind of talk to a guy. Who's on the other end, like pull back the curtain a little bit and talk to Devin Birch. He's going to be my guest and he's going to share some of the stories that how he was involved with the Limelight concert venue here in Peoria several years ago. So thank you, Devin, for talking to me tonight. And thank you to you for pressing play on this episode. Kevin?
1: Hey Andy how's it going?
0: Uh good how are you doing tonight? I'm
1: doing pretty good man.
0: How's it going? Uh good well thanks for talking to me tonight and it's it's actually kind of interesting cuz uh I know like a lot of people that know you. Okay. Uh Tyler uh Kier he works at Maui gym with me yeah? and I guess he um you were his boss at Limelight.
1: Yeah, you know uh Tyler's a great great guy. Yeah. We had a a lot of amazing people work at Limelight.
0: And then um, another guy at Maui Gym, uh, Chase Curlin, I don't know if that name rings a bell, but he said that when he was going to Bradley, he talked to you um, and had like an interview um, with you, and he was doing it for like a paper or something. He was doing at Bradley. It would have been So like like for for Limelight or for my engineering? I think it was... um, I think he said it was for the limelight. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, yep, it seemed kind of interesting that, like, I know people that know you, and even um, speaking of the engineering, Sean uh, Renault.
1: Yeah, Sean Renault. We we always make we always Uh, have a good time of trying to decide how to pronounce his last name, and every time we ask him, he always says, "Yeah," you know, like he doesn't (laughs) (laughs) he doesn't know or doesn't prefer one way or another. So, I always say Renault. (laughs)
0: um it it seems like uh so it's like that kevin bacon thing like the degrees of separation from devin birch
1: yep for sure i i can say the same thing about you a little bit um you know sean had mentioned he knew knew you and uh um i guess the first time was uh when damon came to town you know um it kind of became aware of you guys doing the podcast at that point in time because you guys interviewed him And uh, the last time he was in town and was at uh, Cruisins on 29. So, yeah, um, that's when I first listened to a couple of your podcasts. So
0: I think even the time before that, when they did that festival on the riverfront and then they did like a VIP thing at Rhythm Kitchen, I think he kind of called you out and thanked you for setting that up.
1: Yep. Yeah, that was that was an awesome day. So, uh, you know, him and Clutch on the same bill is pretty much about as good as it gets.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what I wanted to ask you about um, is how you got involved in concerts. But I guess maybe to start is like, what was the first concert that you um, ever went to?
1: First proper concert I went to was the Motley Crue Dr. Feel Good tour. My, uh, my older brother, Dennis took me, I was a freshman in high school. Um, so I'd been to, you know, local stuff before that, you know, or whatever, but that was my first proper arena concert was, uh, I grew up in Southern Illinois, um, South of a little town. Well, Effingham's not that small. So South of Effingham, Illinois, uh, in a little town called Louisville. And, uh, my high school, uh, my graduating class is around 50 people, pretty small school. I think Louisville has a population somewhere around 1,000 to 1,200 people. So, real small town, uh, southern Illinois, and we would either go to either Terre Haute or Evansville or St. Louis for shows. And that one happened to be in Evansville, at Roberts Coliseum, I think it's called. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun.
0: Oh, awesome. So it kind of seemed to maybe build up the anticipation by having like a little road trip, too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, it, was, it was like, you know, God, it wasn't, that was the only thing you thought about for like as long as you had your tickets. And I, I bet we had those tickets for every bit of, you know, 12 weeks, you know, <laughs> at least three months, you know. Like, hey, we're going to go to this show because they would just, they would announce those shows. So, Far in advance, but they would sell out so quickly and everything, you know. So you always had to just hop on them. Or I don't even remember how my brother got them. I don't know if he went to, you know, I, I think Effingham may have had like, I think Ticketmaster was around then. So Effingham may have had like a, a Ticketmaster outlet or something, you know, at the mall and you could go there and, and grab tickets. Because um, online wasn't a thing, you know, in 19. Gosh, this is, I'm dating myself, but, you know, in, <laughs> In, uh, well, nine, uh, 90, probably, I think, yeah, 90, 91, I think it was 90 is when that happened. Freshman year, is was 90, probably, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I remember the first time I heard of the internet, I was a senior in, in high school, and I was like, what is this thing? It was in the library, and it, I still didn't understand it you know, for like a while because just nobody had personal computers in their homes, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it just wasn't something that was prevalent then, but yeah, Motley Crue, still a big fan. Always will be. Tommy Lee's my favorite drummer for sure.
0: (laughs) Have you seen them more than just that one time?
1: Yeah. Um, a couple of other times at least, uh, one of them was here in Peoria. And, um, that was a really cool show. It was the circus, the one with the circus stage and everything. Um, I'm trying to remember what is a carnival of something or another, maybe. I, I can't remember which tour that was on now, but, um, Tommy had the, the boob cam going around and I just couldn't believe here, even here in Peoria, you know, he could just command it, you know? show somebody in the crowd it it could be your first grade teacher and he would say come on and she would she would show her boobs so it was just like (laughs) how is this happening you know so anyway it's just you know love tommy lee love that band love that whole vibe love that genre of music that was that was uh all i listened to is that kind of stuff when you're in you know middle school um junior high early high school that stuff still just brings a smile to my face all the time. Every time I hear it.
0: Um, you were talking about, I guess, buying tickets, like almost like way in advance. I remember when Motley Crue was doing that last tour. I think they, I think they went on sale like a year before they even had those shows. Yeah. All yeah, that stuff. It's, it's like, not. it's hard to buy it now. Cause you don't know what you're even going to plan for down the road.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, we're past all that. That's what that's yeah. how my fingers are crossed. I'm, I'm over 2020 and I'm over the whole withdrawal from, you know, having at least, you know, one concert of some sort on my calendar every month to look forward to, to go into. And, you know, I tell even the guys I work with that that work with me now at my company, you know, it's like the reason we work is to live. And if you don't have stuff on your calendar that you're looking forward to, to live for, you know, then, you know, the daily grind just kind of starts to become, almost too much for you you know so you got to have stuff out in front of you whether it's a vacation a trip a concert a get together with a family or whatever i just encourage everybody to always you know have something on your calendar that you can look forward to because there's going to be a wednesday morning at 10 o'clock that's really going to suck and if you don't have something to look forward to you're not going to make it through it you yeah know? so that's that's what concerts have always been for me is just something to put out there on the calendar and to look forward to
0: uh, so ever since that Molly Crew one, have you been going to concerts regularly ever since then?
1: Yeah, as often as I could. I kind of went through a period when I had younger kids, where where we didn't go to as many shows. And my wife loves to go to to shows as well, so we've just been to so many together. Um, but uh, so there was probably a there was a little lull there for a few years where we were raising babies, you know, raising babies and. Uh, didn't go to as many shows I mean we we've lived up in here in Peoria since uh, 2002 and uh, you know when we first moved to town we didn't have a lot of uh, help from the standpoint of babysitters and things like that so uh, it took a while before you kind of build a community of people you can you know trust and lean on for stuff like that and so there was a period of time where we didn't go to as many but yeah man, starting around the limelight time from then until now it's we've been to a ton of shows because our kids have gotten older and they enjoy going, so we take them sometimes and once they got old enough to leave them in the house for a night, you know um <laughs> amongst you know to fend for themselves then then it was on we were we were buying tickets like crazy
0: um so um any like favorites that stand out over the years?
1: um the 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 best show that I've ever been to was was a limelight show. And I'm not saying that just because of my involvement with Limelight, but the Marilyn Manson show at Limelight was by far the best. Best <laughs> concert experience I've ever had. It was it was crazy. It was a crazy day altogether and the show was everything it was built up to be. So it was, that was definitely my highlight of all, but you know, the crew, the the first crew show I went to and I'm a big Southern rock fan too. So I think this, the first time I seen blackberry smoke play, I was, that's something I can remember. And, you know, even Damon, the first time I kind of got reconnected with, I'm just such a huge fan of his Damon Johnson that, you know, he fell off my radar. Um, for a lot of years because um, I was living in Peoria in, uh, I guess it would have been like 94, 95, 95, maybe 94, 95, and um, Brother Kane came to town on their first um, self-titled you know, debut, and they played the Madison, and that was one of the first times I went to the Madison, and so I kind of had a stint in Peoria for a while in college, and then moved away, and then I came back. And during that first day um, at that apartment with a couple of roommates, we we went to several shows at the Madison, and that was one of them. And um, you know, loved that album before I seen him live, and then loved that band, followed that band, and was heartbroken when they broke up. And you know, I didn't follow Damon after that at all for years and years, and then I'm in the middle of doing Limelight, being a part of that whole thing, and i'm tuned in to stuff that's happening in town and all of a sudden i see this post that damon johnson is going to be at kenny's west side pub and i'm like what <laughs> damon johnson he's from brother kane you know so i'm like and i hadn't followed him for years and years and all the cool stuff he had done between brother kane and and this time I, him and ricky work from black star writers were there just doing a duo acoustic kind of thing and I called up my buddy Brad and I'm like, let's go. We gotta go see this. It's you know, and, and he was familiar with Brother Kane, but you know, wasn't really a big follower of the band. He's like, Yeah, let's go. And so we took our wives. It was Sunday afternoon. And that was such a cool experience to go in and, and having having been such a fan of those Brother Kane albums and not knowing anything. I mean, I didn't I didn't even study it before I went to the show. I just was like it's going to be an acoustic afternoon, Sunday thing. It's going to be fun. You know, there's probably just going to be a handful of people there. I didn't go in with any expectations. And him and Ricky just killed it acoustically. Played stuff from, you know, Black Star writers that I hadn't heard yet at all. And was like, wow, that is that sounds just like Thin Lizzy. And then all of a sudden you're like, it's because they're in Thin Lizzy, you know. And <laughs> all those all those things kind of like start to click in your mind, you know, when they start telling stories about songs and you're like figuring out like what these guys are doing now in their lives and, and where they've been and playing Alice Cooper songs and playing, you know, all this stuff. And you're like, I, I just couldn't believe that I, that he'd fallen off the radar, you know, for me. And, uh, yeah, I can't get enough of this stuff that he does now, like, um, as a solo artist. So, um, you know, that was a, a cool show moment for me. And there were 12 people in the room, you know. Um, so it, it goes from, you know, huge arena festival stuff to, you know, little things like that. And, and we did some of that at Limelight, too, that I was really proud of in our front room from time to time. Uh, we would, you know, we, I seen Bad Flower at the front. You know, they opened for somebody in our front um, area of Limelight, and there were 20 people there. And, you know, and, and now this you know, they're headlining places now and selling, you know, two thousand to three thousand tickets on their own easy. Um so those are the kind of moments that you just can't you know, I'll remember those kind of things forever for sure. Uh
0: so then I guess to jump right in then how did you get um involved with the limelight?
1: Man, I miss the limelight every day. Um but you know, the limelight, I, my, my engineering business was literally next door to the limelight.
0: Oh, um, okay, cool.
1: So Austin Engineering had an office, and it was there. Uh, they had the office since the 1960s when they first uh, developed the Pioneer Industrial Park. And um, I was an owner of the engineering business at the time, and, and actually the buildings that limelight um, occupied... I was the uh, land development engineer who helped design and and build, you know, basically get the permits for approval. I tell people from an engineering standpoint, I deal with land development. It's from like the walls out, you know, Um, everything inside the building. That's an architect's job, but everything from a site development standpoint, you know, that's what we deal with at Austin and that's what my specialty is. So I helped make that site you know, a reality from a piece of grass to what was there. And then I became really good friends with the developer who put those buildings together, who was our client. His name was Danny Cash. And, you know, we're neighbors. So we would, you know, catch up with each other from time to time. He would come over and get something notarized or whatever, and whatever, we'd catch up. And and I knew he played music. He was a bass player. And so we would talk about music from um, when we would catch up with each other. And um I'm a drummer. Uh been in a couple of different bands, but um I play a little bit of guitar. I'm not a guitar player, but I I love just everything about playing music together with some guys and um so we would always chat about that. You know, fast forward, long story short, short story long, whatever you want to say. <laughs> um the 2008 kind of downturn happened economically and he the the majority of those buildings he didn't occupy as a business person, he leased out and he occupied a small part of those buildings uh, with his construction company and this is Danny and he didn't have a tenant and had struggled finding a tenant for a couple years and he's like you know I'm thinking about doing thinking about doing something with live music in this building I can't seem to find a tenant what do you think about that And I'm like that would be cool you know how can I help you know and that's where it started uh, so We literally just brainstormed about, you know, things like parking, you know, because that's what I do. I deal with zoning and things like that. And so I just started I started helping him build a case for having live music there. And, you know, you could look at that property and be like, oh, this is never anywhere where you should try to do this. (laughs) Um, But. They're mainly because there's not this big parking lot that sits right out in front of it. And when you look at the buildings, they're pretty unassuming, a couple of, you know, Morton building style machine sheds or whatever. But so the first thing that we lamented on was the first two things was parking and is it going to sound good? You know, it's a metal building. It had some insulation to it, but it wasn't anything that you wanted to set up a big band in and, and crank up the the Marshall amplifiers and see what it was going to sound like. You knew it was going to sound like crap. Um, So, you know, we, we researched all of that stuff pretty intently for a while. And then we started reaching out to, you know, the thing that I told him is like, yeah, at first it doesn't sound like a great place because you don't have a big parking lot in front of it. You know, an industrial building like that only needs 20 or 30 parking spots for employees. You know, it doesn't need a Walmart, a Walmart style parking lot like you need for a concert. But I said, look around at all these companies that are around you and all these parking lots that are around you that aren't busy after five o'clock. You know, um, let's start reaching out to all these people to see if we can get agreements in place to use their parking to compensate them or, you know, work in some sort of partnership with them to use their parking lots when we need it. Um, And so that's what we did. We started reaching out to all those buildings, and one of the buildings we reached out to was owned by um, a guy that ended up becoming our partner in the business. His name is Rick Owens. And at first, you know, he was like, "Sure, you know, we can work out a deal to use the parking lot." And and we said, "Well, we're looking for, you know, investors. What do you think?" You know, and he's like, "Well, I love live music." You know, it was just one of those things where it just everything fell into place and. You know, we we discussed it with a few other investors and people, but we ended up just thinking between the three of us, we had the right mix, and um, we started you know going down the path to get all of our use permits and get our liquor license, and you know I helped with all that stuff, and um, then you know planning the inside of the facility and starting to try to make something that's just storage units essentially. It's a it was a big storage unit um, into a live music venue and. We went to several places that you know I had been to that I liked, and we we picked things about all of those places that we liked and tried to implement them the best that we could, given the fact that we were already starting with four walls essentially. You know, we weren't starting from scratch, so we had to work with what we had. Um, it was just a, it was a really fun time, um, and uh, I think we ended up doing a really good job of making the rooms sound good. Um, it's still one of my favorite places that I've ever seen shows at from a sound quality and just a a visibility and the feel of the room. And, um, we, we, we brought a lot of cool things to town and, uh, I'm pretty proud of it.
0: Um, I guess I'd heard the um, name before, like Danny Cash, but I didn't know it was like this collaborative, like project you guys had.
1: Yeah, it was, it was his idea, but it was his buildings, you know, and he was like, I want to do something with music, and then, you know, we just, I just helped him run with it, you know, and uh, we uh, we made it happen, and we had a lot of fun doing it for a lot of years, and Limelight was successful in just every single way, in my opinion, it was successful in every single way except financially, and, you know, we tried a lot of different recipes, you know, a lot of different ingredients to try to make that financial thing work, and, um after four years, we just couldn't find it. So, uh, you know, you can only do it so long before, uh, before you just have to say, uh, well, we're not either, we don't have the right recipe, uh, and can't figure it out. Or maybe let's, let's try, let somebody else try. And I think somebody else tried for a year or two and couldn't quite find the right recipe either. So I, you know, people ask me all the time, what is it? And I, I, I think, to a certain degree, we were a little too big. Um, we had a little bit too much overhead um, for um, the market we're in. Um, I think I think places that are probably, you know, we could hold 1,500 people and we had a lot of real estate and a lot of cost that comes with that. And it it took a certain amount of people to get the machine built up. And if you hire an act that, you know, commands 1500 person venue you got to pay something for that right and if only 200 people come it it doesn't it doesn't work out and you know for every step forward you make it's pretty easy to have four or five that go backward and um, so I think we might have been just a a little bit bigger than what our market could support from a standpoint of the size of the facility and uh, um, the overhead that it took to uh, to operate it I think a, a venue that's 500 people or so uh, and really hones in on their overhead and you know has a good landlord or owns that building and doesn't have a lot of expense in that real estate could, could make it here in Peoria uh, with what you have to pay acts that command a 500-person venue. But I think we were right in that spot where we were not big enough to be really big and and just too big to kind of um, fit right into where the niche was at um, for the for the type of artist. Uh, and I love going to 1,500 to 2,000 seat venues um, because generally the artist has had three or four albums and a little bit of success, you know. And there's, you know, some notoriety to, to what you're hearing. And um, so I love that size of room. I just don't think that size of room works in the Peoria market, you um, they always called us a B market, and I get why they they call Peoria that market. Because, you know, when you're picking, if you're a, a Blackberry Smoke or, a, you know, Jason Isbell or whatever, out picking your tour dates, you're not necessarily hoping to get Peoria as a tour date. Mm. It's just not on your radar. Now, some if somebody in Peoria is going to pay you well to come there, of course you're going to come. But it's not... There's nothing here that speaks nostalgia to an act to want to come through town, you know? Yeah. So just to be honest, we were always overpaying for acts. (laughs) I mean, you know, we just were. We knew they probably weren't going to sell as well here as they did in Chicago or Indianapolis or St. Louis, but we wanted them. And in order to get them here, we had to pay them more than what we really knew we wanted to pay them. So. Um, not their fault and not our fault, just, it is what it is in the business, you know?
0: I guess like it's taking a risk, but sometimes it would pay off. And sometimes I guess you're saying like it wouldn't, but you just had to take the chance. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. We, well, I mean, and (laughs) we built, we built limelight under the premise that it was kind of like the field of dreams model. Is that what (laughs) I call it? Like it didn't, we didn't have that size of a room in town and hadn't had that size of room since the Madison, you know? And everybody would always, you know, lament and complain or gripe about the fact that we didn't have that smaller venue, that personal smaller venue in town. And we thought, well, let's let's bring it back, and promoters will come, build the field, and the players will come and play. And, you know, a few promoters booked shows in the first year but not nearly the number of shows that we knew we needed to be successful um they they really only booked stuff that they knew was a for sure thing they weren't taking risks on the building or on the venue or anything like that Mm. and you know you look back and I don't blame them either we were unproven to a certain degree and why take a big risk on a band if you don't you know, really know what's going to happen in the market. And, uh, so that went by for a year or so. And, And then we, we had to become talent buyers and none of us in the, you know, in the business had ever bought talent, had ever purchased, you know, and went and negotiated for live music and acts. And so we had no idea what we were doing, you know, to a certain degree. And we had some help and some people helped us along the way. And, But they were they were new into the business, too. And so we finally learned, like, hey, we're going to pay a little bit more for people to get them here and let's start taking those risks. So then you do. And like you said, you have a few winners. Uh, Unfortunately, we just couldn't string together um, more winners than losers, you know, Um, is really what it broke down to.
0: It does suck though because because um, there were a lot of good shows there but like you're saying there's no like i guess small uh, venue like that in peoria we got the big arena but some of those mid-sized bands don't have a place to play so it was kind of cool that limelight did fill that uh, void
1: yeah i mean we we had that thing going we were like hey we'll pick off um You know, we'll pick off this band who is the direct support on this tour. Maybe on an off night, we'll grab this band. And that happened. It happened just like we thought it would, but just either one or the other, either in the stars didn't align and, you know, what we had to pay to get them there just didn't work out. You know, I always tell folks we sold, we we had plenty of people coming through the door. Um, Plenty of beer sales and all that stuff to to be a a great, you know, in the the black business. What we never found was where tickets, you know, what we paid for an artist and what ticket sales brought in matched each other. We were always, it seemed like we were always um, up against the wall when it came to covering guarantees, you know, the artist's. Um, like to have to show up to a place. Um, they've got big expenses to cover, and I 100% get it. Um, so it was never, we were never mad about that. We, we wished it didn't exist the way it was. I wish there was more of a partnership to where it's like, hey, you know, you guys can have all the door. You can have it all, you know? We don't we don't want it. We, we just want what comes from the bar. And You know, in theory, that would be great, but that wouldn't cover them in certain instances either, and they don't want to go out and operate at a loss either. So um, if we just could have always had the door cover the artist, we would have been golden. Um, But that's just not the way it happened.
0: Uh, Well, one you mentioned, um, you said was your favorite, was the Manson uh, show. Are there any other uh, shows from there that stand out?
1: Probably the ones that I was, you know, obviously a fan of. Um, I'm a big Blackstone Cherry fan. That was a real treat to have them come and play. They were there twice. We had I'm a big Buck Cherry fan. They were there a couple of times and were really great. Um, the band Jackal was a standout one because I, you know, got up on stage <laughs> and, and you know, I know. Uh, took some whiskey with uh, Jesse. um, And he was just really, really um, helpful and down to earth. uh, And, you know, spent a lot of time with him on his bus after the show talking about the venue because he's a venue owner. You know, he owns his bar out in uh, Sturgis, as well as one down in Atlanta. And you know, he was just like, "Hey, you know, I know, I know, we had a pretty decent night tonight, but you work with me on the next show, and we'll sell it out." And unfortunately, we never had a chance to do that because it was late in, in the limelight thing when uh, when we had him for the first time. So, I think they probably drew seven or eight hundred. And he's like, "Hey, you know, it looked pretty good in there tonight, but you guys can hold like fifteen hundred or so, can't you?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And he goes, well, "Next time we'll get him." I was like, "Okay." You know, he was just, it was all about the marketing part, you know, that and we tried all kinds of marketing things, but um, direct marketing to the right crowd and having that artist help you do that, it's just, they're few and far between, you know, they're, they're just, their marketing team is so busy and for them to take the time every single show to try to help you as the venue sell tickets, um doesn't happen as often as you'd like to think it does you know um but other shows again blackberry blackberry smoke uh was a big i'm a huge fan of that band uh love that southern southern rock vibe and we had them um greta van fleet was one of our last shows that was amazing uh they just lit i mean his voice just i could have swore the roof came off when he was singing (laughs) Um, man, there's just so many I wish I had I've been thinking about this lately, like I need to go back, I've got a lot of records or some stuff in files where I need to go back and just truly list out every artist we had. And even some of the openers, I don't know if we'll, if I would be able to find every single opener, but I'd like to find just in that four year time period, all the people we hosted. Cause I'll forget about somebody. I'll be talking about a band. I'm like, oh, we, we had those guys at Limelight, and some of them I didn't, I, I couldn't even go to because I was busy with other things and schedules in my life, you know. But I'm like, ah, I know we had that band there. I didn't make that show, but um, I know we had them. And you know, and they're are you know, people, you know, a band that somebody's talking about now that probably then they were uh, not even a direct support, you know, for. Um, so that that part of it was really cool. I miss that part. I miss the people more than anything, you know, all the staff and the people that that helped run the place. Michelle tribe was our operations manager and she just, she made that place just run so amazingly well. Um, She, you know, she staffed it and um, worked every single show the whole time that we were there. So she was pretty amazing. She does real estate now, you know (laughs) Um, she could have made somebody a, an awesome venue operator anywhere in the country after her experience with with us but a lot of people like that that i just don't get to see very often anymore that i do really miss and um but it's it's nice when we do get to catch up because um, we've got that shared experience you know that nobody else really has when you go through the trenches like that at some of these shows um it's uh it's it's a lifetime type of uh experience for sure yeah
0: um, I remember having some good experiences there too, because I was working for. Say
1: what? What shows did you go to, or what was your first show there?
0: Um, I think the first one I saw was um, the Night Ranger show, and I was working for um oh, nice. GLO at the time, so I got to be yeah. behind the scenes too. Yeah. So, so, like a bunch of those, I was, I was probably working for the station at most of those shows there. Sure. The yeah.
1: I, um, I still have that. We, we that guitar that was signed by night ranger i kept several of the and we we, we um we got rid of uh, we had a big wall of guitars i don't know if you remember but we we tried to get most not all acts but several of them we would just buy a cheap guitar something that we thought kind of matched the personality of the band or you know something like that and try to get him to sign a guitar and we had a big wall of guitars kind of hard rock cafe like you know
0: yeah yeah above um, the door
1: yeah yeah so i ended up with several of those um and the night ranger one was one of them so i have that um in my we have a lounge at work that we set up with a a pool table and i've got a bunch of my rock memorabilia stuff hanging up in there so we go over there every once in a while and (laughs) let off some steam and play some pool and listen to music and um so i got that guitar that was a good show it was a really good show
0: yeah um i think you'd mentioned the front bar and i remember um damon and ricky i think they played up there a couple yeah, yeah, months yeah. before the uh before the kenny's one you mentioned actually that one was after the kenny's one. Oh so after I, okay flip yeah
1: i i see yeah i seen them there and i was like how come you guys didn't come to limelight you know and they're like well, we tried, and you guys are busy today. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. The front, you know, the sound bar is what we called the front room, and we we had something going on that afternoon that they were going to be in town, um, or, or we would have, you know, had had a shot at having them there the first time that I remember them being in town. And uh, so I'm like, okay, next time you guys want to do this, you call me. So they did, and um, we had them there in the front room. Um, Oh, cool. and it was killer you know had a chance to catch up with them and we were talking like hey you know when black star writers is you know back in the states and we're all we're you know we're on a tour with someone we'll we'll do a one-off here you know because they just love the back room you know when i showed them the rest of the facility and everything and they were like yeah this is killer dude um uh, so missed out on that one we we didn't we didn't i think we closed i think that might have been the fall and we were closed we, i think we closed the basically the uh, New Year's Eve show of that year so the, they the Black Star writers were never back on uh, a US tour of any sort where they could one off and, and come over for a date
0: dang it man what could have been <laughs>
1: yeah right yeah did get to see them though um,
0: after that when they they
1: they were supporting Judas Priest
0: Oh yeah. in balloons. a couple of years
1: ago. Yeah. So I've seen him there, but you know, it, Damon is one that I've kept in touch with afterwards. Cause we just, I don't know. We just kind of hit it off. And, um, uh, he's probably one of the only ones really from that whole experience that I would say that I, you know, really hit it off with and I've had a, you know, conversations with afterwards. But, um, he, uh, they had that Judas Priest tour and they were really excited about it and he was still in the band then and but they were doing one-off dates as well on that tour and they were up in um it's the Chicagoland area I can't remember the name of the theater right now it's a cool little theater um it's east of Geneseo I can't even think of the name of the town now but anyway they headlined a date there so I see them headline one night and then the next night go watch them you know, do uh, support for Judas Priest. Uh, And so that was pretty cool weekend.
0: (laughs) Is that like the Arcata, I think? Yeah, yeah, I know. That's it, the Arcata. Yep.
1: That's it. That's a great, great venue. It's a great venue.
0: Um, I've been up there a few times. I think like St. Charles is the town.
1: That's it. St. Charles. St. Charles, Illinois. Every time I hear St. Charles being from southern Illinois, I think St. Charles you know missouri is in in the st louis area it's st okay. charles is a little town <laughs> around missouri so yeah. i I, don't, I never think of it being an illinois town
0: i'd never heard of that town until a couple of years ago in that like theater and it is a cool venue
1: are, the arcad is cool you know where the forge is now in joliet I mean, You've been to shows there
0: Yeah, I think that's changed a couple times. It was like Mojo's or something, but yeah, Yeah. now it's the fourth. I think Damon's coming through there soon.
1: He is. Yeah, Yeah. I think in August, like on a Wednesday night. So, yeah, we should trek up for that. That would be fun.
0: Um, It's like school night, but I could probably make it work.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, you got to be a good boy and head back home in a decent hour. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Uh, so, um, so then, um, your friendship with Damon, is that how you brought him back for, uh, that, uh, tailgate and tall boys?
1: So, yeah, between Damon and, and Ben Owen is a really cool guy that has worked with Damon for years and years and years in this region of the country. Um, and Ben ha- met him. He's, I don't know what you call Ben, but he's kind of like a, a tour manager for, for Damon for, for certain dates kind of in the Midwest, um, and so became, you know, friends with him and still text, you know, Ben all the time about stuff and we've been threatening to get together to play some golf lately. But, um, so once we caught up with the two of them and had them back to limelight, we've just kind of all, always stayed in touch. And if they're looking to do something in the Peoria area, they're always asking me like, Hey, where should we look at? You know, what could we do? Who do you think we could call? You know, because they're always routing stuff between other towns. And so I'll try to hook them up with somebody I know or a place I know or a, th- a place I think would be good. And, you know, the Tailgates and Tallboys Festival stuff was something that Limelight was involved in. And in our partnership, where when, when we were trying to keep Limelight going, summers were always really, really hard for us. People just don't want to go inside for a club show in the summer as much as they do in the fall and winter and, you know, springtime. So we started exploring how how do we do shows outside in the summer instead of, you know, having them at the venue. And we did the Tailgates and Tallboys uh, Festival. It was actually that was a brainchild of Billy Cowell, who's still involved in it today um that was his his vision and his brainchild and we did the first one made that happen at three sisters park um and billy had worked for us as an employee as a talent buyer for a while before he kind of went back he went on his own and and just kind of freelanced and started his own talent buying company but So, you know, we we did those outdoor shows and the one Damon came back to do was not it was after Limelight was done, um, but still really close friends with Billy. My wife actually still for for their outdoor shows in the area here, she does the backstage um, and artist and uh, crew type of hospitality things, you know, so she reviews the the riders and yeah you know the you know organizes catering and organizes drivers and stuff like that so billy has her do that because she's done them for all the tailgates and tall boys and she's really awesome at what she does and all the tour managers love her and um so i'm still really close with him and a lot of those guys that are in you know that business and uh i was just like dude come on this this date you've got with Clutch and and so and so it's ba- you, you got to have Damon you know come and play so as much as anything um, for me he did it as a favor he's like yeah we'll put him on you know and um, but that's another one of a, a great moments you know in this whole music thing I've been a part of is that day comes and you know he knows he's like ah oh, your boy Damon you know this or that and he goes there's a lot of a lot of the acts here are talking about how cool it is that Damon's on the bill today. And I'm like, I told you, you know, like (laughs) he's awesome, you know? And so, yeah, that whole day, these other bands, you know, I think Damon was the first, the first band on the main stage of that night. Um, And there weren't a lot of people there, unfortunately, you know, but he gets it, you know, he's building back up from, you know, doing his solo career now and he gets, he's going to be early in some nights, but, All, I mean, I'm. There was guys from Clutch. Aaron Lewis was there that night. There was Aaron Lewis was side stage. I think three or maybe even all four members of Clutch were side stage for Damon. Um, The Steel Woods were on that bill, and Rowdy, um, God rest his soul, Rowdy, uh, the guitar player for the Steel Woods, was on side stage along with a couple of the other guys in that band. So, like, literally, you look at the the side stage almost had as many people as kind of was out front of the bands that were just wanting to come and watch him do his thing, you know? And Billy, you know, my buddy Billy, who's a promoter, he was like, look at this, almost all these bands. He's like, you don't hardly ever see this. You know, every (laughs) once in a while you'll see one or two, but like almost, you know, at least somebody from all of the other acts was on side stage watching that performance and they slayed it. They just killed it. He had his four-piece. Um, it was a four-piece band that day, and it was it was cool. So that was that's a cool moment. It's one of my favorites for sure. Um, and so hopefully we'll get him back on some other dates like that too. Uh,
0: it was cool hearing that story. So thanks for making that happen because that was a cool uh, uh, show. Seeing his because I saw the VIP thing, and then I saw the uh, um, his main stage thing later.
1: Yeah, that was a awesome day. I mean, just one for the books, as they say, you know, life's made of those kind of moments. And you know, just as you're standing in it, you're like, man, could a day be any better? You know, and then later Clutch goes on and me and Damon are standing side stage watching Clutch together, you know. So it's like it, it was just a really cool day. You know, I know that they all had a good time, regardless of how many people were maybe showed up for for their set. You know, um, they were just they were happy to be on the bill and play for however many people there made it early uh, made it out early and I i don't know if you're like me but my wife hates it but me and my buddy Brad that go to we go to shows together a lot and like we get anxious if we're not there for openers like I want to see yeah.
0: <laughs> fans
1: that I haven't seen yet and so I like start to get all anxious like hey we're running late come on let's go we got she's like You know, she's always like, "We'll get there when we get there." I'm like, "No, I mean, you know, the opening band starts here, and I want to see these guys or whatever." And so I'm always just obnoxious about seeing opening bands, and I just, you know, I guess that's the difference between me and, you know, I'm sure other people are like it, but the majority of folks, they're there to see the headliner, and that's really it, you know. And if they show up 20 or 30 minutes late into the headlining show, that's fine by them too, you know. And that just. Uh, I can't do that. It, it, it just drives me. I you know I got to I got to see the whole thing, you know.
0: Um I'm the same way, especially cuz some of those shows you got to get up front, you know, it's a general admission. You got to get right up front. Yeah. So if you show up late, you're like in the back. Yeah. So
1: I don't get it, man. You're just you're not getting all of your money's worth, yeah. you know, and you're and all those there's been so many times where that band has just been like, okay, I got to I gotta check these guys out or, you know, this gal out or whatever. And next thing you know, you know, I'm buying four or five albums and I can't stop listening to them for nine months, you know, or whatever. And it's just,
0: why would you miss that? Yeah. You
1: know, I guess if you're not a music lover, you don't get it.
0: <laughs> um, is there any one band like that that's like really stood out? Um, who's been an opener?
1: Uh, that like surprised me. Yeah. Um, well, there was a couple. Um, Red Sun Rising, and I, they're not together anymore. But they really they were a band that was an opener at Limelight that really impressed me. And
0: um, um, yeah, because I remember those guys played that uh, Front Bar uh, once, like on a weeknight. Yeah, they did. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was, and then I think they ended up probably being one of the bands we had back the most times. Just they played the sound bar, and then I think they played the sound bar again. And there were more people there, and then I think they were an opener for two different tours.
0: Yeah, like the Nutcracker um, or something like that.
1: Yeah, the these guys were the headliner of the Nutcracker, but I was not um, the highly suspect. I liked one of the songs that you know the X was playing of theirs but when they had them for the first Nutcracker um I was really impressed with their his his stage presence and his live show you know one of the things rock and roll has kind of become that is a little bit frustrating for me is sometimes there's there's not an edge there anymore you know yeah and they sound great and they look great there's just not that there's just something about it that just kind of sets there and is um safe you know um guys like a scott weiland that you just or an Axl rose or, or you just really don't know what's going to happen next you know and it could be a bad thing or it could be a great thing but the that's the, the unknown of it you know the craziness of it, or the wildness of it you don't have that as often anymore um but like that guy from Highly Suspect, I got that vibe from him. You know, like you just didn't know. And I've been a couple shows since then where, c- couple times it was you know kind of like sketchy, where like he actually stopped a song in the middle and was like, "No, we're starting this over," you know, and made the band start over again because it, they did something that he didn't like, you know, and <laughs> um. So that kind of stuff kind of excites me, you know, the guys like that that are um, just kind of. Off the hook a little bit, and you just don't know what they're going to ha- what's going to happen next. Um, so they impressed me for that for one of that reason. Just that he could play guitar really well, and he just carried himself like a rock star. Um, but man, I wish I, I wish I had that limelight list because I'd be like, oh yeah, that that one, those guys were amazing. Um, I'm it's I'm drawing blanks now. I'm kind of looking around at my walls on some stuff, but uh, nothing's jumping out at me right now. But um I'll probably think of something and we'll have to save that for another conversation.
0: <laughs> we can talk about it at the Damon show. There you go. Yeah.
1: So what other shows did you see at Limelight?
0: Oh man, there were um I saw like a whole string of them. I remember there was the striper one that was like a 30 year oh, thing. Yeah, that's there was cool, like yeah. Sebastian Bach. Oh uh, no, that cheap was a great, trick one. I, Sebastian it's another Box one where there was, time. like, nobody for that Sebastian Bach show, but, like, I it know. was awesome. He sounded yeah, uh,
1: great. He didn't care about that either. I yeah. mean, he was – that was one that was, you know, of the four years, I can say maybe I went on a tour bus five or six times, right, to say hi to somebody. Maybe it was more than that. But it's not as it, – it wasn't, like, something that happened frequently. But every once in a while, you know, they would have a great night or something would happen. They'd be like, hey, you know, Sebastian wants to know if you want to come and say hi. And he'll, you know, give him 30 minutes after the show and come out to the bus and say hi. And I'm like, absolutely, I want to go say hi to Sebastian Bach. Are you kidding me? Like, Slave <laughs> to the Grind, that album. I mean, I i had to had to buy that three times probably because I wore the CD out. I just... Love that CD. And um, so my wife and I, we get to go and say hi to him and his wife. And he has a little son who was on the bus too, and a couple of other uh, people from Limelight. Joey, who works for me now, who was a, an employee at Limelight at the time. Um, he, do you know, is another seventh degree separation or whatever? But do you know Joey Gibbs? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he's yeah. Mindset so,
0: Evolution and a bunch of local bands. Yep.
1: Yep drummer fantastic drummer but anyway he worked for us at limelight and then now he actually works for me at austin engineering oh cool um he's a surveyor so but he and i got to hang out um and see you know and talk with sebastian and you know he had a couple of cds to get signed and i think i had my first skid row vinyl i wish i had slave to the grind vinyl but i was buying cds then but i had my first skid row first album that he signed and I think it says something like, uh, thanks for 27 years of rock and roll or something like that, because it was like 27 years from when it came out and, uh, or something like that. But um, yeah, that was a cool, cool experience and a great show. I mean, he he wailed that night. I mean, you you couldn't ask for anybody to give it more than when he gave it that night. It yeah. was cool.
0: Um, you were talking about um, reckless, like singers and stuff, like that mansion yeah. show um, that you mentioned. I remember, like the smoke detectors and stuff were like going yeah. off, and you can even see the stage for the first couple songs. It yeah, was I feel like
1: it felt felt like the first six or seven songs. Yeah, you could, I mean, you could barely like make him out here and there. The cool thing about that day was listening to his band rehearse during the middle of the day because and people would do that at the limelight a lot. They would get there, they would set up, and they would rehearse. You know, they would do their sound check and then and then they would just rehearse for a couple hours, you know, or run through something that they a new song that they wanted to do that night or add to the list Hmm. or whatever. And so sometimes, I mean if it was a band I was really into, I would kind of just make it a point to kind of be there that day and be around for that because that was cool. Um, but the, the Manson day, I just knew it was going to be a really intense day. So I took the day off from my day gig, you know, my <laughs> owner, owner of an engineering company. And at that time we were literally next door, but I'm like, Hey, it's a big show. This is Manson. Things are going to kind of be crazy. You know, I'm just going to help out all day at the shop, you know? So I did. And, <laughs> you know, it was, it was just a really cool experience to, to see. He, he, was, he never did any, you know, Marilyn never did any part of the soundcheck or, or uh, the rehearsal, but the band was rehearsing. And I wish I remember what song it was, but it was a song he called out later in the night and had basically said, you know, we haven't played this song in like 10 years or something. Um, and it was, it was a fantastic song, and i got to do some research to figure out what it was. It it wasn't I'm I'm a Manson fan of like I really didn't I, I enjoyed Antichrist Superstar you know or whatever and followed kind of that but and the Dope Show and but the Pale Emperor was actually the album he was touring on at that time and so I really listened to that one and that's my favorite Manson album but anyway he was playing something off of like one of his I think even a, a, an album before Antichrist Superstar and um it was a popular song you know people knew it and people i remember people talking about it um, online socially uh, a few times you know for a few days after like oh i can't believe you played this song you know well i'd heard them play that like 20 times that day i mean they must have ran through it you know the band did a, a bunch of takes with it just trying to get it down and and then they played it that night and so then you you kind of hear about all that stuff afterwards and you're like Oh, well, that's why they kept playing that song so many times, right? <laughs> Blackberry Smoke was the same way. It was a, That was a band I loved, and I wanted to be there during the day. They rehearsed for a while, and they were playing this song over and over, kind of, and trying to work it out. And I wasn't familiar with the song at all. But I was like, that's a really cool song. Man, I wonder what song that is, or why are they playing it? Because I knew it wasn't one of theirs. Because um, I'm that much of a fan, I'm like, this is not one of their songs. And... They play it later that night and he makes Charlie Starr makes a comment something like uh, well if <laughs> and it made me sad because he's like well if you don't know who these guys are then we can't be friends you know and I'm like god darn it you know I'm going to have to figure out what song who is this and it was a uh, a Peter Ma- uh, a Peter Green Fleetwood Mac song you know from you know, before Stevie Nicks and and all that the, uh, an early early Fleetwood Mac Peter Green song called um was it, oh
0: God, well. No, I'm good. Yes. Okay. That
1: is it. And I love that song, you know, now, you know, but I I didn't have any idea about Peter Green or that that era of Fleetwood Mac or anything, but I sure dove into it after that, you know, because <laughs> I was like I want to be Charlie Starr's friend, you know? <laughs> so I need I need to learn about this stuff. Um <laughs> but I've always kind of followed mainstream stuff to a certain degree. I mean, I I go down rabbit holes here and there, but for the most part me growing up, it was, it was stuff that was on the radio or that my friends heard, you know, there, there wasn't YouTube and there wasn't Facebook and all these things to learn about independent bands and, or go down, I didn't live in a big town, so you didn't have a scene where people were sharing punk, you know, tapes of this or that. So we got the stuff that was at the Walmart, you know, if it was on the Walmart shelf or if it was on the record store shelf at, you know, the little town, then that's all that we could get exposed to or, or, or whatever our brothers, you know, our older brothers or, you know, the friends of them were listening to that's, that's all you got exposed to. So for me, it was a lot of like Southern rock and classic rock, you know, like Zeppelin and, you know, kiss and, um, Leonard Skinner and, you know, that kind of stuff. That's because that's, that's Bob Seger. My brothers are all huge Bob Seger fans. So that's the kind of stuff I grew up listening to. Um, and then it just turned into whatever was popular at the junior high. You know, whatever everybody else was listening to, that's what I tried to get into, you know. Um, I wish YouTube existed, you know, <laughs> when I was a kid. Uh, but it didn't, so... Um, I wasn't exposed to I've, I've heard of several of your episodes and I'm like, I've never heard of that band. Why have I never ever heard of that band? Cause people will ask me all the time, like, you know, this, right. And, you know, a lot of times I do know stuff, but you know, the stuff you guys talk about sometimes, I, I'm just like, never ever heard of that band. Why have I never heard of that? And then I'll go listen to it. and I'm like, yeah, those guys are pretty good. Or there's times I'm like, yeah, no, that's not for me, you know, but it's still cool to kind of hear about these, you know, bands either from Europe or like, you know, they're just not mainstream bands, you know. Um, so that's why I enjoyed the A-Sides. So a little little plug there for you.
0: Oh, um, well, thank you. Yeah, I, it's like I didn't grow up uh, really listen. Like I was the same way I'd listen to whatever was on the radio because there wasn't, like you said, YouTube or there wasn't even Wikipedia to look stuff up. Right i didn't have an older brother so i didn't really get into more music until later into my 20s or whatever okay get, yeah um, getting exposed to stuff from different friends so yeah
1: yeah music's pretty cool that way though once it kind of you know gets its hooks in you um it's kind of all you yeah, think about and want to you know spend your time doing is either listening to or playing or being around it in some sort of way at least it is for me and, ha- and has been for a long time
0: um yeah it's like oxygen for me like i either need <laughs> to be like listening to it or i need to be talking about it like this you know?
1: yeah yeah so, or watching it yeah yeah
0: yeah for sure yeah well, thanks I wish for I talking it. to me i wish i played this, it more than
1: yeah than than what i've been able to in the last few years but um Maybe some time, get, get some more time. It's hard being a, a business owner, finding enough time to, to get to. I mean, I've tried to a couple of different times, but it just, it just doesn't, there never seems to be enough time. You know, there's only so many hours a day that I can, you know, give of myself to different things, um, my family or my job or whatever. And um, playing music has always taken a lot of time when you do it. You know, it just, it takes hours, you know. Yeah getting together with guys and doing that and it's it's always it ends up being complicated right um, from a time standpoint so that it's always evaded me here since um my early 20s was the last time i did it very frequently so maybe someday though
0: uh, well you almost don't have an excuse now you got sean and you got joey you could start jamming with them <laughs> you know in your lunch hour or something
1: We've threat we've threatened it a couple of times, but Joey and I are both drummers. So, and my guitar playing is it's not something that you want to do with a group of people. It's it's barely good enough for uh, sitting around a campfire and playing three chords, you know. Uh, but, so I, I can handle that part. But man. as long as it's got you know like G, C, and D and E minor in it, I'm golden.
0: <laughs> um, all right, well Devin, well thanks for talking with me tonight, man. This is cool.
1: My pleasure. I've been looking forward to it. Um, so. Uh, let's get together sometime when um, we can meet face to face and and have a drink and and continue talking music.
0: Um, definitely. Um, okay. Um, all right, man. Well, thank you.
1: Thanks, Andy. Take care. So See
0: you. Have a good night.